for three. Dagger! Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode six of Well Beyond the Arc. I'm Manoli. And I'm Montana. And we'll be bringing you NBA basketball talk here for the next hour or so. As always, a six-pack of podcasts. What, no, number six, Montana, how do we make it this far? I don't know. It's really flown by. It still feels like we're in the first few, but we're really getting into it now. Yeah. The sixth one. So it's exciting yeah. stuff for sure. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun. And, you know, speaking of having fun, we're on to the second round of the playoffs, the conference semifinals. And, we got some fun matchups right here. And, you know, the first one that got, that got kicked off yesterday, Milwaukee Bucks and, and Boston Celtics. And Milwaukee went in there and stole one yesterday, uh, beating the Celtics by, I believe, a final score of 101-89. Um, Yanni said that Okumbo led the way, as always, for the Bucks. You know, they had Chris Middleton out, who, and it seems like he's going to be out for the whole series. But, you know, Bucks didn't shoot so well. Uh, you know, how did you feel that game went Montana? Well, I think it showed how the series is going to go. I think the Bucks are going to control it. Um, I personally think we're going to see a five-game or sweep. Um, you're not playing the Nets anymore. You're playing the, you're playing the real – one of the best teams in the East. You're not playing the fake best team in the East. You're playing the real best team in the East. <laughs> so I think that this Celtics team is going to be as overwhelmed as they were last night. Giannis did not have the greatest game, obviously, shooting-wise – the whole team as a whole didn't have a great game, and they still held on and dominated the whole game. So I think we really saw the depth of this team. I think we saw just how deep they can go because when one player is not on, the other another player can be called up and, and do a great job of putting up the numbers they need. So this Bucks team has some of the best depth in the NBA, and we're definitely seeing it, especially in this series. Um, took care of the Bulls pretty easily. Um that may shift in the coming years, but this season they, they took care of them pretty well, po regular season and postseason. But, um, you know, you're not playing the Nets anymore. You're playing the Bucks, and you're going head-to-head -head against arguably the best player in the NBA. Giannis is kind of in that position now, I would say. Um, people have said LeBron, Kevin Durant, this, that. But I would say Giannis absolutely is in that best player in the NBA position now, especially best player in the postseason. You know, by far the best player in the postseason, all of the NBA, I would say as well. So this Celtics team has their hands full. If they can't turn things around, I think if they lose game two, I think it's get the brooms out. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, look, I think uh, I, I think it was a statement win for the Bucks yesterday. Uh, I, I agree. The, I, I like uh, your shots fired. If you're not playing the <laughs> fake best team in the East right now, you're playing the best team, you know, with respect to uh, – Miami and, and, and Philly, which we'll talk about a little later on. But look, I, you, you think that you're waiting for the Bucks to miss Chris Middleton, and it hasn't happened yet. And don't don't get me wrong, that's an all-star. That's a an above-average defender. That's another guy on there. You talked about the Bucks' depth that they could be using right now, and you, the Bucks are much better with Chris Middleton than without. But it's been a next next man uh, step up mentality for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, Yanni Santokounmpo, as usual, has led the way. Like you said, didn't have the best game. Uh, he's having a little bit of an issue, I think, with uh, with foul trouble once again and getting some of those offensive fouls. Is is Boston's using the 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 old blueprint of loading up the box against him and you know taking their chances and and drawing charges against him or at least trying to. Um, but the key for Milwaukee going forward and it has been for the last few years and will continue to be is having those other guys hit outside shots, whoever it may be. Because Adetokounmpo is always going to be looking to score from close range. He's going to be looking to drive to the basket, get to the free throw line. Or if guys collapse, he's able to find the open shooter. And, and the Bucks are one of the best teams in the league in, in, in making that second or third pass as well. But you have guys like Grayson Allen, my favorite player in the NBA, and I cannot be more sarcastic in saying that. But give credit where credit's due. He's, he's shooting about 60% from three-point land in the postseason. You got guys like Wes Matthews. He's hitting shots to, to no one's surprise. Even, even Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis hitting threes from the corner yesterday, and he can hit that outside shot. Pat Connaughton. Um, you know, when George Hill comes back for, from injury, when they decide to activate him, I mean, he's a guy that can hit an outside shot. So – 
the Bucks have done a good job of loading their roster with a bunch of three and D guys and guys that can hit an outside shot to complement the Greek freak. Um, hell, I, I forgot, I almost forgot about Chris Middleton, another guy that can hit an outside shot. But you know, once he comes back, they're just going to be even that more dangerous. But that being said, I don't necessarily agree that it's going to be a short series. I think Boston has a little bit of depth as well. They got a bunch of three and D guys. I think it's going to be a good series. They shot 33% from the, from, from the field yesterday. Um, the ball did not move as, as, as freely as it did against Brooklyn. Um, so they're going to have to make an adjustment. And the Celtics coach, Ime Odoka, has shown that he can make adjustments through the series and even from in, in a series, uh, through the season, excuse me, and through a series. You know, I think I think you can go six or seven. But I, I do agree if Milwaukee wins game two, the Celtics are going to be in a little bit of trouble. But um, you even took the words out of my mouth and answering the question on whether Yanni Sedetokounmpo is the best player in the NBA. You say he is. I definitely have him in the top three. Right now, he's the best player left in the playoffs by far. Um, not the best shooter, improving shooter. But, you know, watch out. Watch out for the rest of the Eastern Conference and whoever comes out of the West if the Bucks continue to advance. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I think this Bucks team has proven. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't really take them that serious. Um, even when they won the title, you know, the Suns. I was that fan that was like, well, if the Lakers would have beat the Suns in round one, then they would have played the Bucks, and they, whatever. I was that fan at that point. Well, looking at the Bucks now, they are in attack mode. They are in defend mode. They are actually visibly defending their title every time they've stepped out on the court. Because even though they handled the Chicago Bulls in round one, it wasn't a give. It wasn't just a gimme. They needed to be on their best, you know, playing. They needed to play their best. And and obviously the Chicago Bulls were missing some pieces and struggled against teams that were the real deal, I would say. They could handle the lower, you know, six and under teams, but those top five they had some struggles with throughout the season. You know, anyone – Below them, they could handle pretty easily. Anyone above them was a little bit of a different story, um, especially towards the end of the season. But, I mean, this Bucks team really proved that they are a team that is going to go back if they can, and they're going to give it everything they got. And I, I, I see them handling business with the Celtics. I just – the Celtics don't really, to me, seem like they can answer Giannis, even when he's not scoring. Everything else Giannis does, I don't see a lot of pe- – of, players on the Celtics team that can contain Giannis. I also don't see a lot of players that can keep up with some of the other role players on this Bucks team. So Celtics are obviously a skilled team, but like I said, you're going up against the real team, not the fake team. So if they drop game two, um, if the Celtics lose game two, I fully believe it's a four or five game series. If the Celtics can bounce back and win game two, I can see it shifting a little bit and becoming maybe a six game series. Um, I still see the Bucks coming out on top, but I mean, this Celtics team is really skilled. From where they were at the beginning to mid middle of the season to where they are now just shows they're the real deal as well. The only thing is I don't think that they'll be able to make it all the way to the top. Um, maybe they make it past the Bucks, but I just think this Bucks team is, is showing that they're the real deal and they're going to fully intending on going back to the finals and defending their title for sure. Getting yeah. Giannis' second one. I, I want to make it uh, known that Montana referenced my beloved Chicago Bulls before I did in the podcast. I think it was the 220 mark. So just so everybody knows. No, look, I, th- I think the Bucks made a statement with the Bulls. Um, the first couple games in that series were competitive. But after that, it was all, all Milwaukee. And they made they made a statement of the rest of the Eastern Conference and the rest of the league, even and especially without Chris Middleton. And I think they're, they're continuing to do that here with the Celtics. I think it'll be a good series. I think, uh, you know, I. I haven't found anybody that's able to single-handedly stop Yanni Sedevacumbo yet. Um, so it's going to, you know, that stopping that man is going to be a team effort. Um, but one thing to watch out for uh, going forward is uh, defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, is nursing a couple injuries. You saw it there yesterday. You know, on the exercise bike, having the ice packs, he packs all over his body. He looked like a prize fighter um, trying to battle out there. So one thing to think to uh, keep an eye on. And, and the Bucks don't forget, are coached by Mike Boldenholzer. Um, decent coach not always one that makes all the adjustments necessary um so you know if the bucks get a big lead usually they'll let teams back in that's not a slide on budenholzer well maybe it kind of is but um you know anything can happen so i think going forward it will be an exciting series 
Another exciting series that uh, started yesterday was that of the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, they played a pretty close game, even though the Warriors were winning for the majority of the game. 117-116 uh, victory by Golden State yesterday. John ja Morant had a chance to win it with a lefty layup that was a little too strong, but the Warriors escaped. So road teams holding serve so far in the conference semifinals. But the, the main story after the game was the ejection of Warriors forward Draymond Green on a flag questionable, in my opinion, flagrant two foul call on Brandon Clark that earned him a, a quick trip to the showers. So I'm not even going to ask you if the NBA is getting soft, Montana. My question to you is how soft has the NBA gotten with that foul on Draymond Green? Well, so the NBA is getting so soft that they look at Personally, I, I never thought it was a, a foul in the first place. I, definitely not a flagrant. The second part of that foul, because when they went through what happened and they, and they talked about the foul was, there was like a there, there was two different parts. The second part, uh, Draymond Green was simply trying to help someone up. Um, and, and the way it looked, personally to me, I never saw him push. I never saw, I, I, obviously there was contact. Definitely not a flagrant, not flagrant contact, and even questionable actual like foul contact in my opinion. Um, he he hopped right into his hotel room and hopped on his podcast right after and talked about it and was claiming that he was trying to help. He he didn't mean to get in that position and he was trying to help him up and then that was apparently looked at as a flagrant foul. Um, contact that may have called for a eight, just a regular foul, but definitely not a flagrant. Um, he also went to talk about how usually this is the time of year when you can be a little bit more aggressive. And now we're seeing this time of year when it's like the whole season, everyone's walking on eggshells with these refs nowadays. Well, now the whole season, you look forward to the postseason, you can be a little more aggressive, put a little more into it. And now look, it's one of the softest calls I think we've ever seen in the playoffs. I think that it is a super soft call. And when they went out, when I, when I watched it multiple times today, um, tuned into Undisputed with Skip and Shannon. I don't usually do that, but I saw a clip of them on social media the other day yelling at each other, and I was like, I think it's time to give it a watch again. So tuned into that, and they both agreed that it was not, uh, it was not a flagrant. Um, Skip did say that he could see it being just a regular foul, and and I can see the first half of that being that, but I don't know. I just feel like that was a really soft call, and especially when he tried to help him up and all that, whatever. Um, I guess he could have been looked at the wrong way, but to me it looked like he was at the, the wrong place at the wrong time, and then he tried to correct it, and then it just looked some type of way. But then he kind of danced off and was doing his whole thing and like kind of made a scene afterwards. But, I mean, again, I, I get these players being frustrated because usually, like I said, the NBA playoffs are when you can bring a little more aggression, and we've seen them – not call certain things they might have called during the regular season. They just let the games go on. Well, this, this, now we can't even do that here. So basketball, I mean, the NBA is getting extremely soft. Um, and luckily the Warriors still pulled that win off. I'm not shocked that they did. Even, you know, the Warriors really stepped up and played really well against that Grizzlies team. Um, but sure. very soft, very soft call. And Draymond made really good points. I watched his little segment on the show about that whole thing right after that. I'm sure the NBA is not going to be happy about that either. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think it was really soft, and now we're getting to a point where we can't even show aggression and, and push certain things in the playoffs. So it's it's not a great look for the NBA at all. You know, I, I think uh, there's a call online one to Draymond Green from the NBA's uh, offices in New York. I think there's a, a twenty-five dollars to $50,000 fine in Draymond <laughs> yeah. Green's future. Look – I didn't think it was a flagrant two. I think it looked worse than what it was. I understand what the NBA is trying to do with these flagrant fouls. Um, I just think they're going a little overboard. If you watch some of the games, and, and old heads would tell you this, um, you know, if you watch some of the games from the 80s and 90s, that would not maybe not even been called a foul in the 80s and 90s, especially mid-90s. Um, here you got a flagrant two and leading to a player being ejected. Now, Draymond Green does have a little bit of a reputation, right? Um, there, he's always been involved in some questionable, questionable calls. Let's even go back to 20, I think it was a 2016 NBA Finals where, you know, that the kick to LeBron James's groin got him suspended. Um, 
helped Cleveland come back from 3-1 to, to beat the Warriors, but that's a different story for a different time. Um, give, give the Warriors credit, first of all. They lost one of their top players, and they still were able to eke out a, a playoff win on the road against a tough opponent. But going back to the Charmin uh, soft toilet paper issue, I mean, the NBA, um, that, 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 was, that, that was terrible. Uh, throwing out one of your better players. Um, Draymond was actually interviewed by the inside the NBA guys earlier tonight before uh, before the Miami Philly game. And he was saying he didn't even follow him. He had his hands up. I have to go back and watch the video again to verify this. But and again, this is just a player defending himself. But he had his hand up and he claims that Brandon Clark jumped into him and the jersey caught him and just made the fall work, work worse than what it was. Unfortunately, that's not the only questionable we'll say flagrant call that's been you know handed out over the last couple of years and unfortunately some of these calls have altered games they've altered series things of that nature um i get that the nba is trying to de-escalate things and not have fights started i understand that they're trying to protect players and make sure that players aren't unnecessarily getting injured but this is the freaking nba playoffs man every other sport with the exception of baseball although that's a different type of intensity there too there's increased physicality because these are the best teams playing for the championship. You can't just give someone an eye pass uh, to the, to the championship round here, you know, in hockey, it's very noticeable that the, the, the physicality increases football as well. Sometimes the ref swallow, the ref swallow their whistle, depending on the, who the, the officiating crew is same in the NBA, but it's just gotten ridiculous. And yes, we, as fans, most fans want to see more of an offensive game in the NBA, Yes, we want to see our players protected and the stars playing instead of being hurt on the sidelines. But you can't, you cannot prevent every single injury. You can't prevent. You can try to prevent some fighting, but there's going to be intensity. These guys are playing for championships, especially guys that don't have rings yet. It's going to be heated. Playoff crowds are the best. The best, in my opinion, it's the best time of year. So. Motions are going to be running high. I mean, you mentioned Draymond Green skipping off after he got uh, ejected. It's probably because he didn't want to throw a fit and get himself in more trouble and, and possibly suspended for game two or even more. But the NBA has got to really do something. I don't know if they have a competition committee like they do in the NFL, but they really got to take a look at how these flagrant foul calls are being efficient because there's a lot of questionable calls, including flagrant ones that, hell, in a pickup game, we probably wouldn't even call it, let alone an NBA game. Yeah, absolutely. It's getting a little bit ridiculous. Um, and another thing you have to realize is the numbers for the playoffs have uh, consistently dropped um, as of recent years. Well, when you're putting your best players and you're suspending them and they're out for a game or more um, in certain players' cases throughout the last few years, if, if a person's tuning in to see their team and one of the pivotal players play, they're not even playing – that doesn't, some people won't want to tune into that game anymore. So you're taking away a little bit of your revenue, too, if you're, if you're sitting and, and getting these guys out of these series that people want to watch play. Um, so it's hurting them, too, at the end of the day. It's hurting, the, it's hurting everybody involved. Well, hopefully, you know, the NBA will look into that. And, you know, if, for the Phoenix Suns' sake, hopefully Scott Foster doesn't officiate any more of their games because Chris Paul hasn't won a single game Scott Foster has officiated. I'm sure if he does and the Suns are up, there's going to be some sort of flagrant foul call that Scott Foster himself uh, calls, oh, yeah. but neither here nor there. Well, from the softness of the NBA to a game that is anything but soft. Yes, that's right. We're going to hit it up a little early today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh the one of the more popular growing games on YouTube and Spotify. And we are going with our next edition of NBA player or two weeks ago, Montana went five for five for the first time, broke his streak last week and missing a question, but still finished with a three for five effort. He's now for those of you counting at home, 15 of 20 in NBA player or that's a 750 batting average for you math majors out there. So let's see how he will do this week. And I'll be honest, Montana, I'm not very confident that I'm going to stump you this, this week. Okay. The topic for this week is NBA player or NFL draft pick. All right. And, and the reason why, and I didn't think this one through it's solely 2022 NFL draft picks. I could have made this super difficult and said anybody that ever got drafted by the NFL. 
but I don't have that much time on my hands. Anyway, all right. for those that have been uh, watching us here over the last uh, five weeks and into week six, uh, you know how the game is played. But for those that are new to the Well Beyond the Arc podcast, I ask Montana, well, I give Montana five names, and he has to determine whether or not they are an NBA player or someone from another dep- uh, profession. And we change that, or if you will, every week. If Montana gets a player correct or a name correct, you will hear this sound. Victory! Thank you once again, Johnny Drama. If Montana gets one incorrect, we'll hear this sound. Pretty straightforward. All right, Montana, you ready to go? I'm ready. Let's get into it. All right, let's see how you do. The first name, is this an NBA player? or 2022 NFL draft pick. The name is James Mitchell. James Mitchell. All right, um, I'm going to go with NFL draft. Victory! Well done, sir. James Mitchell. Hails from Virginia Tech. He is a tight end, drafted number 177th overall to the Detroit Lions. Well done, sir. You are one for one. Let's go to our second name. Is this an NBA player or NFL draft pick? The name is Curtis Perry. Curtis Perry. I'm going to stick with NFL draft pick. Oh, Curtis Perry played in the NBA from 1971 to 1978 for the Rockets, Bucks, and Suns, averaging 9.5 points per game in 480 career games. There goes the streak. (laughs) And the streak is over at one. All right. (laughs) Name number three. Is this... An NBA player or NFL draft pick? The name is Danny Gray. Danny Gray. Um, Again, this is the 2022 NFL draft only. I heard the first thing I heard was Danny, so I was hoping it was going to be Danny Green. You know, the brick brick master himself. But I'm going to go with NFL. Well, I don't know if Danny Gray has a nickname, but I'm sure it's not the Brickmaster himself. Uh, Danny Gray, wide receiver out of SMU, drafted 105th overall to the San Francisco 49ers. Back on track, Montana. All right, two out of three. Let's go to name number four. Is this an NBA player or NFL draft pick? The name is David Rivers. David Rivers. Um, I'm going to stick on the side of NFL draft pick. Oh, no. David Rivers, former guard, played in the NBA from 1988 to ni- or 1988 to 1992. Split time with the Los Angeles Lakers and LA Clippers. Had 3.4 points per game in 114 games. He also played for Olympiacos of the Greek League and played against Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, in the 1997 McDonald's Open. Also on that team is current Bulls general manager, Arturis Karnishevis. All right, two for two. Let's see if we can get uh, three out of five, Montana. The fifth and final name. Rodney Monroe. Is Rodney Monroe an NBA player or NFL draft pick? Well, I'm not even sure if I've said NFL or NBA player yet. So I'm going to I'm gonna switch it up and I'm going to go to the other side and say NBA player. Victory! All right. Still got a winning record here, ladies and gentlemen, in each of the five weeks of NBA player or Rodney Moore played 38 games in the NBA with the Atlanta Hawks in the 1991-92 season, averaged 
3.4 points per game. I swear I'm not doing a search on a live sports bureau for players that average 3.4 points per game during their career. It just happens to be that way. All right. Well, Montana, you're still with a winning record. Uh, you're three out of five. That brings your uh, running total to 18 of 25. Still a plus 700 batting average, 72 to be percent, uh, percent to be exact. And uh, yeah, better luck next week for a five for five. But once again, well done, sir. All right. Well, then we move on to a couple series that are getting underway tonight. Uh, game in action right now is the Philadelphia 76ers visiting the Miami Heat in game one of their Eastern Conference semifinal series. Um, big story coming into that series is Sixers center and MVP finalist Joel Embiid suffering an injury in game six of the series with the, the 76ers series with the Toronto Raptors. And unfortunately, it seems like Joel Embiid is going to be out until at least game three or four of this series. But the controversy here, when Joel Embiid got injured, the 76ers were up 20 plus points with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter. Questionable decision by Doc Rivers to say the least. So my simple question to you, Montana, is is Doc Rivers really a good NBA coach or is this just a one-off bonehead move? Well, he's a good NBA coach. He tends to piece together teams, which I know front office has a big say in who's going where. Obviously, the coach is still in the conversation, but he has time and time again pieced together players that can't get it done when it matters. For example, James Harden. Tonight, he only scored 16 points, five assists. He did have nine rebounds in 35 minutes. The problem isn't the nine or the five, it's the 16. Your, your best player is out. When your best player is out, the sidekick, if you will, because let's be honest, if, we got, if we're going to call them a dynamic duo, which I'm not even going to call them that, but if we're going to call them that, James Harden is the sidekick. He's not the leading guy. But you still expect that sidekick player to show up. Well, he's Absolutely. never really done that. He's never really shown up when it matters. You know, he'll put up big points in a game that is pretty forgettable. You know, maybe – 2018 Rockets versus the Hawks or something like that. Some forgettable game against a team that doesn't have a chance. Doc Rivers pieces these players together. A stat that just shows that Doc Rivers can't get it done in the playoffs. He has blown three 3-1 leads in the postseason. Three. That, that's about all I have to say about that because when you're blowing three 3-1 leads – with pretty star-studded teams most time, All those teams have had really solid players. I will say that 3-1 lead when he coached for the Magic and they were playing the Pistons, that was a little bit different. But the other two 3-1 leads, arguably his teams were more stacked. His teams were projected to win. And when you're up 3-1, you know, that's that closeout game. That's that go-for-the-kill game. And he is not good at that. So... Doc Rivers, obviously NBA champion coach, has had a lot of success record-wise, a lot of playoff teams, but he can't get it done when it matters, and he gets these players that absolutely can't get it done when it matters, for example, James Harden. So, no, I don't think he's a bad coach. I just think he gets in a lot of bad situations that will probably tarnish his career and what people look at him as because blowing a 3-1 lead, which, frankly, I don't think they're going to go up. I don't think the 76ers will control this series at all. If they get Embiid back, that might shift it. But, I mean, when, you're, when your guy is putting up 16 points, you know what I mean? When Harris, when Tobias Harris is outscoring James Harden, you've got a problem. No, no, no trash against Harris, but Harden is supposed to be that guy. So Doc Rivers, not a bad coach, has been in a lot of bad situations and usually doesn't have the correct team to get it done when it matters. Yeah, I think I think the decision to leave Joel Embiid in longer than probably what he should have been in against the Raptors is going to come back to haunt Doc Rivers. I think it was a tremendous mistake. You're up 20 plus points with I don't know what I don't remember what time it was to, that it was left. I think it was under five minutes to go. Joel Embiid should have been on the bench and they should have been putting in the reserves and and getting rest and moving on to Miami and having a healthy Joel Embiid for Game One. 
and it would have been a hell of a series between Miami and, and, and the Philadelphia 76ers. It would have been, we, we should have been talking about how the Miami heat, probably the, the best, arguably the best defensive team in the NBA is going to come up with a plan uh, to stop Joel Embiid and, and, you know, some of those other guys, but you know, now you're talking about James Harden, who, you know, everybody forgets he's, he's about 33 years old, maybe not in the best shape. Maybe he's, he is, he's not been struggling ever since he, he got traded to Philly. Granted, I think James Harden is a better uh, option than Ben Simmons, who, Oh, by the way, playing and hasn't in a year. Um, this podcast isn't about Ben Simmons. Look, I think Doc Rivers is a fairly good coach. He's definitely not a great coach. And he was named to the NBA's top coaches list for the NBA 75th anniversary, which I disagreed with. I think there are other better coaches than Doc Rivers. Yes, he's got a championship, but there's been a lot of NBA coaches that have won a championship. Paul Westhead won an NBA championship with the Lakers in the 1980, but I didn't see his name up there. You know, Mike Budenholzer, Mike Budenholzer has one championship. I didn't see his name up there. So I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the, the, the prerequisite to being a, a, one of the top coaches. Yes. Doc Rivers has been coaching for a long time. It hasn't been all bad for Doc Rivers. I will give him that. When he took the job in Orlando, no one expected the Orlando magic to do anything. And granted they had Tracy McGrady. Grant Hill was injured. They didn't get Tim Duncan, but he he did more than what was expected initially with Orlando. So I'll give him that much credit. I think he's a good motivator of men. I think he's a good leader. He's a good communicator. He is one of the best coaches in the NBA at ATOs after timeout plays. But everything you mentioned about not coming up big in in, in big playoff games and, and the situations you talked about, you know, he – He's had opportunities to win Boston. He, he did get the, the the 2000 NBA championship, but a lot of that has been credited to the Celtics, then big three of Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, and rightfully so. Did get a second finals appearance with that squad in 2010, even though a lot of those guys were a lot older. Uh, went to, I believe, seven games, and they lost to Kobe Bryant the Lakers there, a game that they very well could have won. Um, since then, he Doc Rivers has not been to the NBA finals. He's had some, he inherited some great Clippers teams that have put together some, some improved rosters. I mean, he made, he helped make the Clippers relevant again. I'll give him that much credit. And that Clippers team should have went farther than what it did at least two of those seasons, especially before the Warriors got good and they didn't do it. Now, when asked about some of the playoff struggles, Doc Rivers was kind of taken aback. And this is in the, in the Raptors series of, you know, blowing 3-1 lead, leads. And, you know, he pleaded saying, well, you know, yes, I've, I've blown 3-1 leads, but you haven't told the whole story. Well, that's just making excuses. Yes, he had an injured Chris Paul and Blake Griffin with um, with the Clippers. There's been a couple instances where, you know, he's, he's, you know, injuries have played a part. But that's part of the game. It's the playoffs. If you're a good coach, yeah, you need good players, but you should be able to come up with some sort of scheme to get one game. You have three chances to win. You got to get one game out of that. And he hasn't been able to do that. So Doc Rivers, good coach, not great coach, but I think, the, again, the decision to leave and beat in is going to come back and haunt him because it very well might have cost the Philadelphia 76ers their season. Yeah, and I think it, I think it may have. Um, going back to what you said about when they, you know, obviously beat the Lakers uh, one time when he was coaching the Celtics and then lost that second one, I was really hoping to see a third um, finals series kind of the trilogy you know but never happened never never solidified bunch of players went a bunch of different places and kind of those teams kind of disintegrated on so they kind of fell apart and and a lot of those players were moved other other places uh, but in the game and i just recently watched game seven a few weeks ago of that lakers versus celtics game you can see the celtics had control of the game early on kobe could not have been bricking more shots kobe was bricking almost everything in the first half and, and, brick, and playing brick, hurt brick, brick. yeah yeah and, yeah and he was pretty well covered mm-hmm. i think that doc and obviously i can't speak on how it is to be on that sideline you know with 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 all those fans and like you're right there it's i don't know but i feel like he is a coach that lets his emotions and his ego play too much into decisions he wanted to keep joel Embiid on that court to bury the raptors because because they almost came back, because of all that talk of the 3-1 lead. He let his emotions get in the way, and he was like, 
we'll let me show you what we're going to do to you. We're going to beat you the whole game, all the way through, as much, by as much as we can. Well, look what's happening now. You may have just you may have just found yourself a second round exit with this. Yep. You know, and even yep. if Joel Embiid comes back, there's no guarantee. A, he's going to come back all the way. Obviously, I feel like he probably will. Uh, the injury he has, I feel like he will recover well if, if he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But B, even if he comes back and he's fully healthy, if this Heat team is on a roll, they're not going to go down. They're not going to fold even when no. the best player for the 76ers comes back. So I think that Doc Rivers' career has been a little tarnished by some egotistical moves and also by some emotional moves. Um, I listened to a podcast on him. Um, I'm not sure if any of our listeners are um, familiar with All the Smoke. Um, oh, yeah. I love that podcast. One of my favorite. Maddie Barnes and Steven Jackson. Yes, sir. Le- Legendaries. They, they have so many great guests, so many great conversations. He went on, oh, it's been a while. I think it was around, it was right after the bubble, I believe, or it was right before that. It's been, it's been a little while, but hearing him talk, he knows the sport of basketball. He loves the sport of basketball. He has been fully encircled in the sport of basketball for so long as a player and now as a coach. He loves the sport. He knows the sport. But even just hearing him talk about certain things, you can tell that he is very emotional and he lets certain things come into play. Obviously that's, that's again, I'm not on that sideline. So you can't, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not a coach in the NBA or any professional league. So uh, I don't know. It's probably pretty easy to let your emotions get the best of you. But I think a mix of that and his ego has really, really, really hurt him in several series and in several situations. And we're seeing it again here. And potentially this is the worst, not a three, one lead, but you were up by 15 to 20 plus points, lost your best player, and now you're relying on James Harden and his 16 points, which, frankly, I don't care what shape he is or how old he is, that is ridiculous for James Harden, who is very much looked at as one of the best scorers in NBA history. At least was. Well, yeah, in NBA history, yes, I agree. I think uh, his career is on the downside. Uh, I think we're he's running into what we were saw what we see with uh, Carmelo Anthony, what we saw with Carmelo Anthony, you know, getting up to like a scoring lead, then starting to drop off with age. Father Tom is undefeated. I mean, the yeah. only one that's defeating it so far, two people that I can think of, and Tom Brady and LeBron James. But that's a different story for another day. The the good news for the 76ers is that they do expect Joel Embiid back at some point in the series, maybe Game Three or Four. Hopefully for them, Game Three, because if it goes to a Game Four, it might be too late. And if the Heat are up 3 nothing, I don't even bring Joel Embiid back at that point. No. Um, Joel Embiid does get get a chance to rest that that bum thumb, the torn ligament in his thumb. But now he's got two other, you know, he's got that concussion, the mild concussion and the uh, orbital uh, bone fracture that, you know, he's probably going to be wearing that mask. And he's probably going to be thinking about that, at least if in the first quarter, the first game he plays in. But look, James Harden is still a threat. You know, how, no matter how much we rip him or not, he is still a threat out there. Um Tobias Harris can put give you 20 points. Tyrese Maxey, uh, much improved player, do, basically doubled the scoring average. Can you know their new de facto point guard um, can can put the ball on the floor and get you some points. So I don't think the 76ers are completely screwed, but they are in trouble. Hopefully for them, Joel Embiid can come back, make this a series. And and again, Miami's missing Kyle Lowry too, but Miami is so deep. Um, also have a, a hurting Jimmy Butler, but I think he was playing tonight. I didn't check the box score, but um, I think I'd have Miami winning the series anyway, but Joel Embiid missing at least two games, maybe three, definitely puts Miami in the driver's seat. So we'll see how that goes. Um, well, folks, we will pause here for, for just a second for a word from the Yankee and the Brit. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Jay from Yankee and the Brit telling you to come over and check out our shows. The Yankee and the Brit Sports Talk, Well Beyond the Arc, The Markout Podcast, Flagrant and Foul, Real Talk with Jay, and MMA Underground Weekly, live every Wednesday at 5 Eastern at YouTube backslash The Yankee and the Brit. Deuces. All right, be sure to check out those uh, podcasts on the Yankee and Brit, and the Brit, excuse me, uh, sports group. Well, the only conference semifinal matchup we haven't talked about yet is that of the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns. 
the Dallas Mavericks surprised me personally by making uh, not necessarily quick work, but defeating the Utah Jazz uh, in, in their series. And the Phoenix Suns, despite missing Devin Booker for a couple of games, they were able to hold off the upstart New Orleans Pelicans in a great game, in a great closing game in New Orleans last week with Chris Paul going 14 for 14 from the field. The Suns getting Devin Booker back, giving them a boost. Um, but now it gets to the, the road gets more difficult for both teams. Um, Montana, how do you th- see the series going and how have the Mavericks been able to be so good and getting this far? So I, the series I think is going to go one of two ways. One, it's a all out battle all through and it goes to six or seven. That is, is, in my opinion, a little less likely with a Mr. Devin Booker back. With Devin Booker back, I see the Suns making pretty easy work of the, of the Mavs in four or five games. Um, as we are recording this right now, the Suns are up 18-6 to six in game one. Um, obviously, games can flip-flop pretty quickly for either team. We could see the Mavs go on a run, and the Mavs are a team that have gone on several runs throughout games. So an 18 to 6 lead in the first is nothing crazy. That's not going to show how the whole series is going to go. But when you have the the arguably one of the best players in the NBA right now in Devin Booker and another one of the best players in the NBA in Chris Paul. Um, and you could even say Aiton. You could throw all three of those guys in the top 20, 30 players. I don't know if I would put them all in that list, especially maybe not Aiton, but they're all up there. They're all some of the best of the best. And now Booker's back, and he's making pretty easy work right now. I think when I checked, he has six points just in the first. Not bad for being coming back off an injury. So I think that this Suns team, if they dominate tonight's game um, as we're recording and, and, they, and they win – by a sizable amount, I'm going to say 15 or more. I think that the Suns are going to handle business pretty swiftly. Even if they win, but it's a close game, I think it'll be a battle. But this Suns team, I I do think outmatches the Mavs in a couple of areas. Um, and we're seeing it tonight with how the game has started. Um, but the Mavs are definitely a talented team, and they are building. They We saw them kind of fall off once Dirk was on the way out, you know. It was kind of the Dirk Nowinski show. You know, we're just, you know, he's going to put up some shots. I remember his last season, I went to a game in Dallas when they played the Nets. And they lost to a pretty bad Nets team because that was, I think, 2015, 2016. So the Nets were, were nothing at that point. Um, so I don't want to say nothing. Obviously, they were an NBA team with, with skilled, talented players, but they were not a team that we were looking at as an elite team, not top of the pack. Kept on feeding Dirk the ball. Everyone was going crazy every time Dirk got the ball. Whenever Dirk didn't have the ball, quiet, silent. No one cared. Feed Dirk the ball. Put up some of your iconic shots. Even if you only score 12, you saw 12 points from one of the greatest players of all time. That was the vibe in Dallas. It was... Let's celebrate Dirk and then kind of a complete, not a complete rebuild, but a lot of rebuilding went on. Luckily, they had Luca. Luca kind of came in and made the transition easier. And since then, Luca has led that team into battle. It does not matter who they are playing. He leads them into battle every time. He is their fearless leader. Personally, I think he will end up being the face of the NBA at some point. That's a pretty big statement with all the talent, especially young talent. But he is huge. He is bigger than life. He has been playing professional ball since around the time I was learning how to drive. Okay? He was 16, I believe. He was, in, he was, he was high school age when he was playing up against a lot of professionals. Um, so he, he's the real deal. And this Mavs team is kind of building and forming around him. I think this offseason they'll make some sizable changes to, to bring some more consistency around him. Um, personally, Kristaps Porzingis wasn't a consistent player to put around them. I think they tried that, you know, they tried that experiment. It was semi-successful, but it was really only successful because of what Luca was doing. It wasn't really Kristaps. It was Luca carrying the load. Sometimes Kristaps would play and and put up some points and then maybe have a clutch shot, but usually he'd be out with injuries or just bricking a lot of shots. 
Um, so personally, I think this map team is special, and I think that they're going to make some changes to put them up in that level with the Suns. I don't think they're quite there this season, but I still can see it being a close series because, like I said, when you have a player like Luka, you never know what's going to happen. So either Suns kill him in game one and they say, we've got this series, we're going we're gonna to be in the driver's seat the whole time, or it's a close battle that kind of shows us how the rest of the series is going to go. As of now, I think it could go either way, um, but I definitely have this Suns team coming out on top regardless of how close the series is. Last week, I, I ended our, our podcast episode by pleading to the New Orleans Pelicans and the Brooklyn Nets to sign me. I'll, I'll play more than Ben Simmons and Zion Williamson. If Kristaps Porzingis was still on the Mavericks, I, I'd be reaching out to Mark Cuban and offering my services to stand out 30 feet from the basket and shoot pointless trees like Kristaps Porzingis in, in, in Brickham. And I would cost a lot less than $33 million. But thankfully for Mark Cuban and the Mavericks, they were able to make a deal, uh, ship Porzingis out, who I still think has some potential in being a pretty good NBA player and has shown so with the, the Washington Wizards. But, you know, he's sitting at home watching the Suns uh, Mavericks series. And I, I think, in my opinion, I think the Suns are going to win this in six. The biggest key for the Suns is going to be their health. Um, you know, if Chris Paul and, and, Devin Booker have to stay healthy, um, more so Chris Paul, because I think the Suns show that they can at least hold the fort down without Booker, but you need Devin Booker to keep moving forward. The, the, their opponents are just going to get harder, more and more difficult to face, and it's hard to, to replace 27 points per game scoring, a guy that can score off the dribble and, and a sweet shooter like Devin Booker. Um, you know, DeAndre Ayton, we're going to see how he's being used and how the Mavericks look to exploit him because, you know, most of the Mavericks big men are guys that are, are stretch fours and fives with the uh, exception of uh, one of my favorite players, in the NBA, Boban Marjanovic, who hopefully will see some burn this series and uh, he'll see more burn on the floor than he does in his state farm commercials, which I do, do enjoy. But look, how, how are the Mavericks so good? I, I, two words, Luka, Luka Doncic. Uh, he's leading their team in, once again in scoring, rebounding and assists. He might even be leading them in steals. But the dude is a stud. He is, I, I agree, he will be, if not a face, the face of the NBA at some point. Um, he's got that uh, a modern Larry Bird-esque game where, you know, he plays so slow, but he's effective. He can shoot. He can do every everything on the court. Um, yeah, reminds me of a modern day Larry Bird, just with the, with, with better handles uh, and not, a, not as accurate as a shot. But what the Mavericks did, we mentioned Kristaps uh, Porzingis being traded, but what they've done is they've been able to develop Jalen Brunson, who has had a coming out party this year. He's He's got to be, I didn't see what the voting was for most improved player of the year, but he's got to be in top 10 in that voting. And he's had a couple of 30-point playoff games, especially one with uh, Luka Doncic out. Jalen Brunson can play, despite being a late-round first-round draft pick. That dude can play. Uh, just gives the Mavericks another weapon on the court. They missed Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, who's a you know three and D guy, great outside shooter, but they have been able to acquire Spencer Dinwiddie, making that team a, a little bit uh, more deep, uh, a guard they can put on the floor, take it to the bucket, shoot from the outside. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith. Every time I watch a Mavericks game, all I see him do is uh, defend and shoot threes. Not that he's the greatest shooter, but he's improved. He's improved. So similar to Milwaukee. Dallas has been able to surround Luca with guys that can shoot from the outside. Maxi Kleba being another one as well. Davis Bertans, who they got back in the Porzingis trade, another guy. And letting Luca basically be up to him on whether or not, you know, after a screen roll, he takes it to the bucket, kicks it out for a pick and pop roll with one of those other four guys to, to shoot a three. Um, I would call them almost the baby Celtics. Not as talented, not as effective, not as good defensively, but they've improved defensively. And, and you know, Chris, not having Kristaps Porzingis there just may, gives uh, the Mavericks opponents some more matchup problems and things of that nature. But despite all that, if the Suns can stay healthy, I have them winning this in six. Um, very surprised by the coaching of Jason Kidd. He's actually, I think he's done a pretty good job with this Mavericks group. Uh, not just being a 500 coach, but leading them to a, a higher seed, and we'll we'll see how it goes. Absolutely, no, I think I think it's going to go one. I think it could go either way. Um, I obviously have the Suns win it regardless, but if 
the Suns blow the Mavs out of the water. Even with Luka, I don't see it being more than a four or five game series. If it's a close game tonight and it goes down to the wire, which it very well could, again, we've seen games shift very quickly. With, within five to ten minutes, a game can shift the other side completely as long as it's close enough for a shift. Um, currently, the game was already shifted as we're still recording. It's 33 to 25 at the end of the first. So it's already shifting in, in the way that I think it's going to be a competitive series. If the Suns can pull away and just dominate tonight, I think it'll be more difficult for the Mavs to come back. But you never know. Again, Luka is great, and he's surrounded by a pretty good cast. And I think that they're going to fill a couple of holes and and make a few slight changes this summer. But at the same time, this group of guys has really worked around Luka. You got rid of one that really wasn't, and now you're kind of adding on and growing. So the future for Dallas is bright. Um, oh, yeah. The future may be now. We, we may see them pull this series off. I don't see that happening, but the NBA playoffs, anything can happen. Like we've said, anything can happen. It can be game to game. One game, one team's in control, the next game, the other team is. So I think this sure. will be a fun series, um, but I, I think we're both on the same page. I think the Suns handle business pretty swiftly, uh, whether it's in five games, six games, whatever. I think they're, they're going to handle business. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see how that series go. Uh, I'll be watching uh, Suns defenders, primarily Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder, and the job that uh, they'll have to be doing against uh, NBA All Star Luka Doncic. So it should be a fun series, and uh, all four of the uh, conference semifinal series are, are going to be fun to watch and pretty interesting going forward. So, one player that is not playing in the conference semifinals, and quite frankly, hasn't played much since he entered the league in 2019 is former Duke forward, former number one overall pick and Curliamson. He came out recently last couple days when asked if whether or not he'd be interested in signing an extension in New York, New Orleans, five-year extension. If he was offered, he said, yeah, I would have signed it immediately. Montana, Zion Williamson, like Ben Simmons, is a head scratcher to me. Um, he even went on to say that, you know, he w- he was cleared to play and he was ready to play, but he didn't want to risk it, which to me, that was a no-no. I don't know who mm-hmm. in the Pelicans PR department told him that was a good idea. Or if he, you know, went off script out with that. But what do you make of Zion Williamson's comments on that, you know, if he was offered a contract extension by the Pelicans, he'd sign it yesterday? So... Ask, this is my answer to that. Ask Zion the same question back in January. He's not going to say that. He's not. He saw how successful this group is, and he was like, well, I want a piece of that too. He knows that the Pelicans are probably going to pay him the most, even though he has not made the fans too happy. I don't know if you saw this. This was a couple months ago. Um, during Mardi Gras, there was a float of him that was really unflattering that showed him incredibly large and very fat and was like, just just not the most flattering thing that you probably want your fan base to have of you. So this was back uh, during the celebration of Mardi Gras in New Orleans. So fans are not probably loving him at the moment because when you drafted him, you expected him to be the future of your franchise. Sure. He was supposed to get the keys, and he was supposed to get the keys early on. I remember people were like, oh, LeBron James, two-point. I was like, first of all, no. Definitely not. Even when he was in college, that was before he was drafted. I was like, he's not going to be a LeBron James. There will never be another LeBron James. Not saying there won't be players that are better, but his path and who he is and how long he has been it. There's never going to be another LeBron. That's another talk for another time. But um, it was he was really overhyped. Now, when he made his debut, he had a pretty good debut. He had a really solid game. He, he jacked up a lot of threes. They weren't the prettiest threes, but he was he was he was making them. Um, so he had a pretty good start, and it was exciting. But the entire time, the second he stepped on the court, I remember I was watching with one of my friends his debut game. I was like, "This guy's gonna this guy's gonna have some injury problems. This this guy's gonna be a talented player, but he is going to have a lot of injury problems, specifically with what he is doing at his weight, how high he is jumping, coming down like he is." 
he is dominating, but he is also hurting himself each time he does one of those crazy dunks or one of those things. I don't truly think he would have said the same thing he said now if you asked him this in January. I don't doubt that he was injured. Seeing how he got injured and also knowing his history with injuries and, and the whole time he's been in the NBA pretty much, I don't doubt he was injured. But I don't think he would have said, yeah, I'll sign this. I want to sign it now. I can't sign it fast enough. He wouldn't have said that back in January. He has seen what this team is becoming, and he wants a piece of it. And like I said before, I think this is arguably the team that's probably going to pay him the most. Um, I just think that at this point, this team is going to go in fully with him still, even with the backlash and, and the fan base being not happy and that, that one f- pretty funny but definitely unflattering float. I don't think he's going to get the same amount of money or the same amount of like, he's not, he, I still think he has the keys. I still think this team is maybe stupidly saying he's our guy. Still. I think Brandon Ingram's the guy by far. He's proved that, but I think he's still looked at as the guy because of how much they went in on him and all the hype that's built up around him. And obviously very physically, athletically gifted there's no doubt there at all he is one of the most athletically gifted players at his age in the nba by far even with his injuries um in regards to his comments about the game and coming back that is almost worse than ben simmons you're telling me that you were cleared 100 percent and you just decided not to play now ben simmons is a similar situation but the difference is he didn't say anything about it he's he's staying quiet like he has his entire time that he's been injured so zion made a mistake by by making that comment that may cause some backlash and i've already seen it cause some backlash from the fans because they're like he said like oh i was going to come back in game seven well game six you have to have you have to have a game six to have a game seven why wouldn't you come back in the game that defined whether you were going home or or playing another game why would you say i'll come back but so yeah i i think I would like to see him back on the court. Um, personally, I do enjoy watching him play. I like watching him play for Duke. The few games he's played in the NBA, he's been explosive and fun to watch. Um, I don't think he's what he could be. I think he needs to make some changes if he wants to get to where he could be. Um, but this Pelicans team with Zion could very well be a scary, scary team. If it, if it works, if everything comes to fruition, I think it could be a fun team to watch. But I also think this Pelicans team needs to be careful because of, you know, the fact that, A, he's very injury prone. B, he could have came back and he didn't. And he's dumb enough to go out and say it. I'm not going to say dumb enough, but a little bit. I mean, you didn't have to make that statement. Ben Simmons sure didn't say anything at all except for the fact that, oh, I could have came back. I I wanted to and I could because whatever. But that was like through the grapevine. He didn't directly say that. He didn't say anything. This was from Zion personally. We, we know he said this. So yeah. I think the Pelicans should be careful, but I don't think they should completely turn away from him because I do think he could help them in the near and distant future, potentially. You mentioned the unflattering float. My question is, was it a float or was he the float? Because he's had some weight fluctuations and I've, there's been some different uh, pictures going around at Zion. Look, it's disappointing to hear him say that, you know, he was healthy enough to go, but didn't out of, out of caution. I, I, I get that. He, he wants to prolong his career. I, I get that. Um, I'm going to chalk his comments up as to young age. Everybody forgets the kid's only 21 years old. I mean, you know, I said a lot of stupid things at 21. You're 21. I'm sure you've said some stupid things in the last, you know, since you've turned 21. <laughs> Um, so that one, I'm, I'm going to chalk up to, to young age. You know, he hasn't shown a pattern of quitting on his team or doing some head scratching things the way that Ben Simmons has. Now, Ben Simmons still a relatively young man, um, but he's had some a history of quitting on teams. This is I'm not saying Zion completely quit, but definitely a head scratcher. Right. Um, so 21 years old. I'll give you some numbers here. The, the debut that he had that you mentioned, he was against the, the San Antonio Spurs. Only had four points in the first half. But then out of nowhere in the fourth quarter of that game, on a mid's instruction, no less, came out and hit four threes, which no one expected. Had a 20-point night. 
um, unexpected uh, lift for the Pelicans. He's got talent. He needs to work on his game a lot. He also needs to work on his conditioning. But I think there's enough athleticism there to work with, and he has potential. He played 24 games in his rookie season. He played 61 games the following season, and uh, I think he even made an all-star team that year. Um, rookie season averaged 22.5 points per game and only 27.8 minutes per game. That's pretty damn efficient. The following, se- following season, 27 points per game in 33 minutes. That's Yanni's like numbers, right? Um, I keep on saying that the best ability one can have is availability, and he just hasn't been available. He's played 85 games in his career. That's It's gone over three seasons. And for those, just a reminder at home that they're new to NBA basketball, 82 games in a season. So he's basically played one season's worth of games in his NBA career in three years. Um, there have been a lot of comps to Charles Barkley. Uh, Zion, you know, became popular with a lot of his YouTube uh, uh, mixtapes of uh, the, all the ferocious dunks. In fact, even a couple weeks ago when everybody was asking when he was going to come back, he released a video of him obviously out of shape, but still able to do uh, a between the legs dunk that, you know, someone injured should not be able to do. But he did it. He's got athleticism. He still has explosiveness and he's still young. Again, 21 years old. But the key for him, like what you said, was is going to be health. Uh, there's some comps to Charles Barkley because Charles Barkley at that age was, granted, a little shorter, um, slightly different game. But that type of athleticism, that type of explosiveness for a heavier guy, right? The key for, for Zion Williamson outside of his health is he's going to have to get in the best shape in his life. And... Otherwise, he's going to be injury prone for the rest of his career. He's going to break bones in his feet. He's going to have knee problems. He's going to have back problems. You name it. Um, and he's, his NBA career is not going to last long if that's not the case. Charles Barkley had Moses Malone in Philly as a young man to tell him that he was fat and out of shape. But there's a lot more accountability back then because then Barkley wasn't playing. Here, Zion's the number one pick, and they're expecting you to play. I think there, there, this is this very well. This offseason could be a fork in the road for Zion Williams's career. Either he makes a decision to get himself dedicated, and at least put himself in position and try to get himself in the best shape of his life. If he happens to get injured doing that, so be it. But at least try, right? Because I think there is potential there, and the Pelicans are banking on the fact that he has potential. And if he's able to do that, you add him to that squad with Brandon Ingram and. CJ McCollum, who has two years left on his deal after this year. So CJ McCollum is going to be there for a little bit. They have a lot of young rookies that have gained experience in the, this opening round of the playoffs against the Suns as well. Pelicans are unexpectedly going to be up and coming. And they got a hell of a coach in Willa Green, who's a great leader. If Zion doesn't show that dedication to the game and doesn't show improvement and doesn't show the ability to even make it onto the court, let alone stay on the court, if I'm David Griffin, I'm making calls and I'm trying to trade Zion now for whatever I can get. Not necessarily a second round pick, but you know, you have an up and coming team. You have a young team. That's when you build around Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum and see if you can get a third, I don't know, three and D guy, uh, a solid player there, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And, and it's kind of, it's going to be a waiting game because I do truly think with how much hype, is built around Zion still, even though he's barely played more than just one NBA season. There's still a lot of hype and mystery around him and what he's going to be. I I do truly think the Pelicans will try to retain him, but I don't think they're going to give him this huge contract. I think that there's going to be... I don't think... I mean, obviously, I feel like you have to pay him to keep him because there are other teams that wow. will potentially match, if not go over a low ball offer from the Pelicans. Um, but I de- definitely don't think he's going to get some crazy large contract unless they see something we don't behind the scenes and they know he's rehabbing his, his I mean, I'm sure he said, I'm sure he's, he has to be close to ready to go, at least back to regular training again with some of those dunks and some of those footage, like the footage we've seen, he looks like he's ready to start going, getting back into basketball shape and start getting actually ready to play again next season. Um, so if there's stuff behind the scenes that we don't see, I'm not shocked if they do offer him a pretty sizable contract, um, but I think it's going to take him showing them that he wants to be there for them to offer the, the, him a big contract. 
Um, Absolutely. But I'm sure they want to keep him uh, for the for the sole fact that you hyped him up. You went all in on him. He was the guy you picked. He was your pick. You could have picked some other successful players that were in that same draft class, but you went with this guy. John Morant? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> who I was thinking of. So I personally think that they will try to stick with him. And I think CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Zion could be a scary trio. Sure. I think that could be a dominating trio. And if they make it work and if he really shows that he wants it, they very well could be a top five seed next season. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think it is if they can be as successful together as I think they can be. But the key is adding that third player to that team, whether that's Zion or not. CJ and Ingram are a great duo, but this is a team that's going to need a trio. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think the ball's in the Pelicans' court. Um, mm -hmm. And technically, this is a contract year for Zion Williamson. So, you know, like I said, he the decision's in, in, on him. The Pelicans can either elect to extend him or they let him walk as a re restricted free agent and have the ability to match whatever any other team offers him. Um, or if they don't see progress next year, they can go ahead and, and work to trade him. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in New Orleans, but um, it'll also be interesting to see what Zion Williamson decides to do and what type of shape and health he'll have coming into the 2022-23 season. Well, that wraps up another edition of Well Beyond the Arc. Episode 6 is in the books. Um, but these aren't the only projects we have going on. Montana, uh, want to plug your podcast? Other Absolutely. podcasts, I should say. <laughs> so, yeah, so I uh, have another podcast uh, called The Connor and Hepburn Show. We actually just released our fifth episode uh, today. Um, we... A lot of different things. We go over NFL. We, we cover a lot of the draft. We go over MLB. We go over a little bit of NBA, but I saved most of that for this show. But we went over some NBA, uh, some hockey, and then some college sport news. So it's a little bit of everything. So uh, you can find us at The Connor and Heffernan Show on Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music. And for the sixth, I believe, I've said it six episodes in a row, Apple, still pending. Uh, got on Amazon just fine, got on everything else, but Apple is still, we're still waiting to get that figured out. So look for us on Apple and also YouTube within the next few weeks. But as of now, we have Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music at the Connor and Heffern Show. Well, six, six weeks in a row. We don't want to ru ruin the pretty impressive streak. <laughs> well, I uh, also don't forget to check out my website, my blog, thesportspageblog.com. Uh, just released a new entry today about the uncertain future of Blackhawks All-Stars, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Will they be back in the Chicago Blackhawks sweaters next year or will they be trading in the offseason? Go, please go to the website and check that out. And as always, uh, please subscribe to the Yankee and the Brit. Uh, check out the other podcasts on the Yankee and the Brit Sports Group. And, and Doc Rivers, if you're watching this, if you're up 20-some, Joel Embiid's still hurt. Don't leave James Harden or Tobias Harris in the game. Take them out. Put in put in Cork Moss. Put in some of these other guys. No more stars getting injured when you're up 25. So long, everybody. Yeah.